September 9th, 2012, uh, lecture discussion number 81 uh, on the book of Romans, sorta. And as I alluded into the uh, announcements here, it's been quite a week um, for me personally, but it's also been quite a, a week uh, since we were last together on August 26th. So you folks on the internet, if you're wondering why there was no September uh, 2nd or 3rd, I think it's second uh, lecture, it's because uh, I know better than to fight the Alaska State Fair. And uh, I took that opportunity to try to fix my roof, which in the, which uh, me and the wind we got in a fight, and the wind was tearing it off as fast as I could put it back on. But I am ahead of the wind now, which is which is good. Um, but let me go over some things. First, uh, Israel and Iran are, as if you have not noticed, are inching, not inching. They are now sprinting to, towards war. And it's, it's obvious to me that they're going to fight um, at this time. It, Israel doesn't have a choice. Because if they get two nuclear weapons, they can destroy Israel. Now, why are they motivated to do so, by the way, besides just hatred? Uh, for God's people. why uh, They're trying to destroy Christianity and Judaism. There's two things that, um, that uh, the Bible says that are, it says that the Jews will not be exterminated and, is, and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. And there's a couple of things that Islam says as well. One of those is that Mecca will not be destroyed. Um, and so, Every, each side knows that there was a congressman a few years ago that said, uh, if you hit the United States one more time with any terrorist activity, uh, I promise you uh, that we will turn Mecca into uh, a glowing waste dump. That got their attention because they understand the theological significance of destroying Mecca. Everybody does. We just don't talk about it. And we understand the theological significance of destroying Israel. Um, and Israel cannot be destroyed. The Bible is specific about that. God will not allow it to happen. And they know it. And so they're motivated to prove the Bible to be uh, incorrect here. And so Israel also knows that they know. It's like that movie where the, each guy had poison. And uh, the, uh, the, everybody knows what the other guy knows. And everybody knows the other guy knows that you know that I know that he knows. Right? That's what's going on there in Israel and Iran. And they're going to ex- try to uh, destroy Israel. Each other. I was fascinated to listen to the Israeli defense minister who was alluding to the fact that Israel has weapons that no other country has. And if that's true, that's going to shock the world. We'll see some real shock and awe. Yes, sir, what do they have? You know that they're very smart. And the smartest people in that country are doing one thing and one thing only, and that is defending their country. They're not making iPads over there. They're making military equipment and armament and devices. Uh, they don't care about uh, the. Uh, they don't care about uh, the Kardashians there. They got a different plan, and they are the smartest people right now in the world. Are doing nothing but around the clock military armament research. And so, what do they have? It's only speculative. But I think I have a pretty good idea. You can ask me afterwards. But anyway, that's all. That's one thing. And then uh, while I'm watching uh, TV, one of the two major political parties made me laugh, finally, um, in this country. They got up publicly and exposed their contempt for Israel and the God of Israel. 
They did not have confidently exposed it. They now know that this country is beginning to go in the direction where it will also, like the rest of the world, hate the nation of Israel and hate the Jews. As you know, we have the, the communists. My dad was astonished before he died. He said, you could never have convinced me that the communist party would be an effective political party in this country. That it have any influence. And it almost controls one party now. Uh, it's a very small group of people, but they're extremely powerful. They're, they might be uh, 2% of the country, but they're very motivated and they're quickly getting politically strength. Communism, if it's good at anything, communism has proven that it is good at exterminating Jews. Good being a, uh, a term that isn't, it doesn't mean good, if you follow what I'm saying there. They're motivated to kill Jews. So I'm not surprised as a communist influence, which is atheistic, by the way, as it becomes more and more prominent politically in this country that we see anti-Semitism uh, publicly now and confidently. And it's, it's to the surprise of no one to see it. But the timing, nonetheless notable, we are exposing contempt for the God of Israel and for Israel at, during a political convention while Israel is about to enter into war with Persia or Iran, which, of course, as you know, it's derived from what word? Aryan. Which, if you remember, if you're old enough, uh, the Aryan uh, aspect of World War II. So the timing is noticeable, and soon Israel will be alone or at least the world will think they're alone, but God has not left them and will not leave them, and uh, much to the shock and dismay of uh, mankind that thinks otherwise, which will be about 99%, and I think it's pretty close to that. Okay, after that now, I had a prominent radio commentator that I like, a Jewish man uh, who has uh, uh, has a, a great deal of wisdom, frankly, uh, uh, but he compared the biblical doctrine of judgment for sin to Mormonism. Uh, he made an equivalency to it. Uh, unbelief, by the way, versus uh, what he perceived as goodness. He did not see that unbelief is, is evil. He thinks unbelief is okay. That I can have goodness outside of unbelief. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in, uh, as we can. And next, the closing prayer the, at the other political convention um, was a, a cardinal um, uh, gentleman of a, a great... Uh, what do I want to say, reputation and, uh, and uh, quite renowned and, and certainly has a tremendous amount of uh, influence in this country. He got up and he said something. Uh, uh, he said, Lord God, I, can't, I don't have it perfect, so please don't think that I am. He said something to the effect of uh, our Heavenly Father, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. Which technically is not incorrect, but it certainly will mislead the weak. Uh, I don't know that he wanted to have an equivalency of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, and Jesus, but he presented it in a way that it was unmistakable uh, to any casual listener, listener that Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus, and Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob and Jesus are certainly equal in some way, but clearly inferior to Creator God. That, that, no one could have listened to that that is a shallow student of the Bible and come away any other way. So I hope it was a mistake, uh, a technical mistake, but if it was purposely said, I wanted to uh, point out uh, that as well. And continuing along, I have, um, I have somewhat unsurprisingly gotten the usual response. 
And I have to say, it's always the same. And that's kind of the sad thing about it. And it's, it is disheartening. It really is. And, uh, um, but I've got the same response uh, to my prelude, if you will, to the July 29th lecture, which if you were here, if you go by, uh, the, if you get the uh, message by CD or internet or whatever, you might remember it was a very quick rejoinder to a gentleman from Florida who began by telling me, he sent me an email, um, he, he declared uh, in the first line of his email to me, um, free will does not exist. You may remember that I just addressed that very shortly and at a very shallow level. Uh, he said, free will does not exist. There is none. There is no such thing as free will. And he called me confused to suggest otherwise. And I agreed that I am confused. And that's all true. I see dimly. And people have asked me, who's dimly? So let me explain. <laughs> yeah. What do I say to that? Huh? Um, but I do. I, I see, as the Bible says, like, like the glass is dark. Um, all of us do, frankly. I know that I can't handle this subject. This is above my pay grade. I don't pretend to have it um, worked out perfectly. I am confused. I see dimly. And I am suspicious of people who think of themselves otherwise. Those are the throw chairs at them and run. Now you want to talk about this subject, and then next you will tell me how you've worked out the triune nature of the infinite God. And I will throw more chairs at you and run further. You are not being respectful. You have a very low view of God and a very high view of yourself. Needless to say, though, the gentleman from Florida has many friends. <laughs> and uh, they call me much more than confused. And that's the uh, downside of the Internet, uh, is the inevitable hate mail. That's what I need right in the middle of having to roof my house and all the other stuff I have to do to, to live, uh, to provide, um, uh, I have to deal with hate mail now. And it's okay. I, I just want, how do I say this without making them feel bad? I want a high level of hate mail. I, I want the best hate mail. I don't want the, the uh, but you know, the very best hate mail writers probably aren't interested in me yet. So I'll have to earn that, I guess. But anyway, um, the, all of it is essentially identical that I get now, other than the adjectives. And I'm beginning to conclude that everyone knows each other, or at least they all have the same book. And I'm anxious for them to read a new book. But lastly, uh, all of the last thing after my hate mail was my mother's body was finally killed by Alzheimer's disease, and she passed away Thursday morning, two o'clock in the morning. And the uh, and the people who uh, graciously came to collect her body came and left. I probably got home about five thirty in the morning uh, when I uh, then I began roofing. So. Uh, um, it's been a, it's been an interesting week for me as, uh, to see all of this stuff, 
and and though my mother's uh, death was expected in the sense that uh, we knew it was certain and it was a matter of time, and though I have witnessed this before, uh, and and have intellectually and logically, if you will, as best I can, resolve the process that is death and the issues of death, I think I have done that. Um, it is uh, still it remains a very powerful, horrifying event. Um, that's undeniable. So that's been my last week. And uh, believe it or not, I'm going to submit to you that Israel and Iran, God and Israel publicly rejected the rejection of God. Because when you say the word rejected now, you're into a very interesting discussion. See? God's goodness, the deity of Christ, my hate mail from those who insist that we are all automatons, and the slow death of my mother from Alzheimer's. I'm going to say to you, all of those are very closely related. They all are in the same chapter, if you will. Uh, of uh, They all fit together very closely. A discussion of one gets you into a discussion of another. Um, because any discussion of death makes you consider spiritual life or spiritual death and then that makes you consider belief and if you consider belief you consider rejection right and Israel is the chosen nation of God uh, for example God does what what did I just say there God chooses if God can choose then what do I know about God already God hey, God does choose God has free will that's obvious that God has free will. And then if I say that, then I get the most obvious of the obvious question. Did God give his free will to anyone? Is free will givable? Or is free will, did he do it to ever? Can he do it? Of course, now we're talking about what can God do? Uh-oh. Omnipotence. Is free will, let me say it this way, is free will only an attribute of God? Let me reword it. Has God given His creation any part of His created? Okay, that would be angelicos, that would be humanity, that would be, uh, that would be animal life, invertebrates, insects. Has He given any part of His created free will? Yes or no? And some say definitively no. And I call those folks, I don't know how much of the board I'm going to use today. I hate to get rid of any of it because I know it's all coming back as we get into Romans 5. I call those people the no-willers. They don't like it, but that's what I call them. They say no. There is no free will, no, none, never going to be no. Nobody's got it. That's it. That solves it. Yes, go ahead. Well, everything is predestined. There is no free will. By the way, that's an evolutionary philosophy position. That means that that's exactly what they say as well. Their allies are in the evolutionary field, okay, in the atheistic field. That everything is random and purposelessness and that we have no free will. <clears throat> That's the sad thing. But anyway, none. They, they will answer that question. Did God give his creation any part of his created free will? No. And some say maybe. And I call them the cowards. Okay? 
There's the no's. Here's the maybes. Okay? And then I have some that say, yes, but God took it back. And I call them the yes buts. Okay? They don't like that much either. <laughs> and then some say, yes. So we have the no-willers, the cowards, or the maybes, the yes buts, and the yesers. Uh, and the yesers immediately have to deal with the next question. Who got the gift of free will then, and why? And of course, the suggestion of how can given free will exist in harmony with God's primable, let me write that word, primable, P-R-I-M-E-V-A-L, which means first or foremost. See, after you've decided, after, you have to, after the yeses have to say, uh, that somebody got it, then who got it, and when and why, then they have to answer, uh, how can given free will exist in harmony with God's primable free will? Because uh, the definitive no's, or the no-willers, they're positive you can't answer that last question that I just asked, that there is no possibility to harmonize Anything, any free will with God's primable free will. There's no solution to it. No, none. The only solution is, I shouldn't say there's no solution. There's no solution you will like. The only solution they say exists is that God is the author of sin. Now, you've heard me do this a lot, haven't you? And, and I want you to hopefully recognize how all of these fit together. Israel chosen by God, Christ rejected. Let me pause on that again. Let me ask you this question. Was, is Christ rejected? Does the Bible say the cornerstone is rejected? Yes or no? Does the Bible ever say Christ is rejected? What am I now asking you? Did Israel reject Christ? Do people reject Christ? I have a whole convention that booed him. I don't even know it's him. But does the Bible say that Christ has been rejected as the Messiah of the world. Yes, it's all over the place. The cornerstone that you rejected, right, was Christ. Okay. What's the problem? Think about that a second. What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to evaluate the process that's what? Rejected. Rejection. Then you have to deal with belief and unbelief. The process that's unbelief, the process that's belief. That's rejection and belief side by side. And then you have goodness in the presence of evil. The death of the body, which makes me consider the existence of the mind and how existence and will are related. And, of course, my hate mail, which is all about all of that. Now, I realize it's your first concern. Now, I know that as I'm doing this, I'm going, well, most of you have heard me do this hundreds of times and you're sick of it. And I don't blame you for being sick of it, and, uh, but you have to recognize that some people listen to one sermon and they promptly forget it and they write a letter. And it's just the, what, what I'm into now, I'm afraid. And I realize your first concern with all of this is how can anyone, anyone not agree with the locomotive electrician slash framing carpenter roofer slash basketball coach slash softball baseball coach slash trigonometry algebra physics geometry teacher slash banjo player slash 
pastor from the tiny church in Anchorage, Alaska. How can anybody disagree with him? And, and, and you all rise in unison. This is where you rise in unison. And you scream, how can this be? <laughs> but for the record, no one rose in unison and asked that. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that's kind of sad for me. I have no support. My own family. Nobody rose at all. Okay, I know it's stunning, but it's it's true. Get used to it. Because they rush to disagree with me and to insult me. There is no hesitation at all. And, uh, and they are confident that I have overlooked their... Um, um, Brand new, original, never seen before by anyone until now question, uh, which they believe is the silver bullet that will change me uh, or convert me to their view. And needless to say, um, that's just simply uh, unfortunate that they think that because this debate predates me and them by thousands of years and will continue to be, to go on. Uh, my dad used to talk about life being a room and that he was in and I had come into the room and I thought it was a brand new room and he had been in there and people have been in there for thousands of years. That is this debate. This debate has been, uh, this room has been around forever and uh, many and many and many come into the room uh, and think that they're the only ones that ever come there. And that is really a shame because there's been hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Uh, in this room and in, in this debate. And, and each side, by the way, has become entrenched. Uh, I realize that. And I'm very much aware of the fertility of what I'm doing today. I have, um, and this isn't to brag, but I've been doing this for, I had to think about it when I was writing this. I began debating this issue in uh, the, uh, uh, it was a off-campus little coffee house run by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Oahu off of uh, the Manoa campus at University of Hawaii uh, where I would go and play chess with uh, students that didn't know I was a good chess player for lunch money. It's uh, one of my schemes. And table tennis, which worked out well for me too. And then there happened to be a pool table. And never did I mention that I grew up with a pool table in my bedroom. So, Anyway, that's where I went um, every day. 1970, got to think about it, two, when I first confronted this discussion. So I have, I have been involved in this discussion um, since 1972. And, and I'm going to tell you, I think I have seen and heard every aspect of it. That will be news to many on the Internet who think I'm confused and an idiot. And I knew very well that when I did what I did, which was very shallow, and I, I, I probably shouldn't have done it, but that's what I, I can't cover all these subjects every week like this. But I knew the no free willers would come, and I knew that they would be unhappy. I even told uh, another person on the Internet that I'm going to make them, they're very disappointed in me. That's the word I get a lot. We're disappointed. But I knew they would be unhappy and disappointed and angry and, and insulting ultimately. And I knew they wouldn't understand what I said. Because uh, it is what it is. It is how it goes every single time. Er, er, no exceptions. 
So, I was talking to Amanda last night. Why take this on? Why do it? Why even bother? It's futile. And I know it. Let's just sing happy songs in church. Let's collect the money, eat the buffet, and watch football. Why bother putting targets on my forehead and back and wait for the arrows? What's the point? Arrows, point. Come on, come on. Thank you. Groan, please. Please groan. What's the point? Well, there's two reasons, as I told Amanda. First reason, it's my job. I have read the job description. And hiding from the doctrines of, of Scripture is forbidden. If you're going to take this pastor job on, you don't hide from these. You can't. It's wrong to do so. Don't take the job if you want to cower behind the happy songs. Get in there and take your lumps and throw your punches and do what you have to do. It'll make you better at it. I have been, as I said, uh, in in this fight, oh my goodness, uh, 40 years. That's a long time. Reason number two, that's my first reason. Reason number two, as you know, I'm stalling. Because I'm in the death throes of the Alaskan summers. And, and I wanted, I erased the word existence. This has got a lot to do with the concept of existence as I have been doing the last few Sundays. And I want to get existence kind of off the table a little bit better before proceeding into the typology of Adam, which is Romans 5. We're going back to the decision of Adam and how it relates to the decision of David, or what's called the three choices or the three uh, possibilities. Notice what I'm doing with that. I say that Adam had three choices, don't I? And David had three choices, and that Adam had those choices after he had sinned, which is a phenomenal position to defend, by the way, and I'm happy to do so. I think uh, I've never been defeated yet. I'm undefeated on my three decisions of Adam and how they relate to David's. And that's very tough sledding. I introduced it about a year or so ago, and now here we finally get to it in Romans 5. And I don't want people to miss it. It's really very important stuff. And so I kind of stall through the, 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 the state fair and all of that in the hunting season as best I can. And I do it every summer, and I place the more difficult subjects into the uh, summer months in order to do what? Not just torment and bore the ones that come. No, that's part of it. No, because there's very few visitors in the summer. And I, uh, I want to minimize the damage. These are not subjects that people want to deal with in church. They want to sing their happy songs. I get it. We have happy songs. I like happy songs. But my job isn't to do the happy songs. I wish it was. Anyway, one more time. Uh, once again, I'm going to answer these complaints. Knowing it won't matter. None of them will be swayed. None of them will listen. My words will be misconstrued and return to me unrecognizable. It's bizarre what they say I said. I, I read what they say and I go, my goodness. How did they get that? What did they do? But I hope you'll find it interesting. Okay, I know you won't. It's not interesting. What am I doing? 
I'm putting it into the record. It's my job. Okay. <laughs> what did the most polite of the, of the writers accuse me of this time? I made a list to add to confused. A. And I don't think I'm going to put them on the board. They say that I am intentionally avoiding Scripture because I have none to support my view. I have none. They say that I am relying on logic. Okay. (laughs) And my reasoning is therefore unsound. I am no more than a ranting idiot with empty positions. And a couple of things I actually liked about those assessments. Uh, relying on reason and ranting idiot, I actually liked. I've been called an angry old fool, uh, so I prefer ranting idiot. And I'm already preparing the t-shirts. Beware of the ranting idiot. Don't feed the ranting idiot. <laughs> and, and I agree with them. I am an idiot for continuing to get in this little tar baby fight with them, thinking that I have any impact on them. I have none. It is totally futile. People love what they love. They don't care. And I could put all the scripture up, and I'm going to here in a minute. I put it all up. They won't care. They'll still write me. You have no scripture. What they'll do? They always do. Can't stop them from doing But... <laughs> I, I can't change them. And, uh, um, oh well. Let me repeat my scripture with the res- with respect to this issue. I'll go ahead and erase the board and put it up here and read it into the record and hopefully be done with it for a season. Until the next group of nasty letters and emails come. Can the free will of God coexist with the free will of man? In other words, can can God have free will and omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence? Is God sovereign? Does His sovereign, and He is sovereign, and He does have omniscience, and He does have omnipotence, and He does have omnipresence, and he is outside of time, and by the way, that's the key to this thing, understanding that he is the creator of time and timeless. Can he give his free will, and in other words, can our free will exist and God have all of those characteristics that I just listed? So I'll give you those scriptures, and then I'll throw in some reasoning, logic. How, how, what a terrible thing that is. I realize that, that such will be immediately dismissed, despite Hebrews 5.14. Okay, here we go. Here's my list. Genesis 15, which I've spent a year of my life doing. Matthew 4. Matthew 25. I do these all the time, and it just stuns me that nobody hears me. 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through, 20, uh, through 30. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Those are what I like to call my big four. That's not all I got. I'll throw some more out here. This isn't all I got either. John 8:24. I say that all the time. 
Isaiah 5.20. I say that all the time. These are the ones that I constantly say that no one seems to hear me say. Genesis 1.26. That might surprise them. Genesis 3.22. Though that's a behold, by the way. You find beholds, as you know, you gotta really hit those. And then Matthew. I just put this one in for fun because I know they don't expect this one either. 13, 3 through 9, which is another behold. Okay? Genesis 126 is the image of God for those of you who uh, want me to make sure you know that. 25, 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents. Ah, couldn't spell talent. Because I have none. Matthew 26, this is Gethsemane in the cup. The old what is in the cup question. Why does Christ weep question. Matthew 4, of course, is the, uh, is Christ answering all of the lies of Satan, of which there are five. Genesis 15 is the burning lamp and the smoking furnace going through the divided animals. That's just a very bare, tiny list of what I've got. That's my scripture. And like I said, those first four are the big four in my view. And again, I get it. I know it won't matter. Trust me. I've done this thousands of times. But what is consistent about these guys? Genesis 15, Matthew 4, and Matthew 26, 36 through 46. What's consistent about those three? Uh, and, and actually, Matthew 25 is also there among those. That's why I always put it in. What is, what is consistent is those passages tell you that there is a solution to this. That God has solved it. Now, Sorry that you haven't, but God did. God has solved it. And the solution is referenced. That's why Genesis 15, Matthew 4, Matthew 26, 36 to 46 are so, so, so very important. And why I constantly bring them up again and again and again. The solution to sin is being discussed in those passages. All aspects of it, the free will aspects of it. Every aspect of it is being discussed there. The great lie of Satan is being addressed in them as as well. God's goodness, His mercy, His love, His holiness, His justice, the collision of those, of His omniscience, if you will, and His love, His justice and His love, man's sin, man's restoration, the cost or the price of salvation, the resolution of omnipotent mercy and omnipotent justice is being fought, if not fought, it's a bad term, being revealed in Genesis 15, Matthew 4, and Matthew 26, 36 through 46. That's what the cup's about. That's what the uh, the confrontation between Christ and Satan is about. And that's what the lamp and the furnace through the pieces is about. That that solution has been decided and put and implemented. And I pounded away for that on, on that for years, as you all here are aware. Years. I think I spent a year on Genesis 15. Very close. The two birds. And I think, sometimes mistakenly, that I'm getting through. At least I think that it will be obvious that God, at least you can say, listen, that's being discussed in the Bible 
And God is saying to me that he solved that. Now, maybe I don't understand how he solved it. But I can at least have a little confidence that he solved it. It's unsolvable to me because I'm a what? Yes, a ranting idiot. That's right. They got that right. To me, it might seem unsolvable. To you, it might seem unsolvable. But God makes certain that we know it is not unsolvable to him. He solved it. He has solved the unsolvable. And he says so. There is a solution to mankind's accountability for sin and God's omniscience. Or a solution to his omnipotent love and his omnipotent holiness or justice. However you wish to phrase it. Free will and omniscience. However you wish to phrase it. The Bible declares that a solution has been achieved. And it does not say the solution is not, 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 not that God is the source of, the author of evil or sin. It doesn't say that. In fact, it says the opposite, Isaiah 5.20. Do not call God evil. Woe to those who do so. He has no sin. Hundred verses testify that Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the Lord God Almighty, has no sin in him ever. Never has any sin. What's the logical? I'm sorry to use logical now. Beat up for being logical. How dare I think? Supposed to what? Apparently feel. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but don't think. Okay, there's hundreds of verses. True, hundreds of verses. It says Christ is perfect without sin, right? The perfect sacrifice, no sin. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of verses, it says, where he says, I am the I am, John 8, 24. Hundreds of verses where he says he is creator God. Hundreds of verses that say he's creator God. He's the Lord God Almighty. And he has no sin. So... You can't escape those verses. Now, let's just do something really simple here. If God is the source or the author of sin, then let's replace God with Jesus Christ. Can I do that? Yes, I'm ordered to do it. If Jesus Christ is the source of sin, the author of evil, then... And he is, if he's God, and you say, if you want to say that God has solved this by being the, by being the one who, who creates sin and puts it in us, and we're all robots, if Christ is God, and he is, and if Christ is the source of sin, and he's not, but if he is, then he has sin in him, doesn't he? How can you be the author of it, the origin of it, the source of it, without it. So where did the sin go? Where did it come from? It came from Christ. So it has to be where? has to be in Him. If sin is in Christ, then sin is in the sacrifice. If sin is in the sacrifice, then no one is saved. Understand that? I know that's logic. If God is the source of sin, then Christ is the source of sin because Christ is God. And if God, if Christ has sin in him, if Christ is the source of sin, then no one 
is saved. Pretty simple. You see, the problem with this free will thing, let me say this really good for you, as clear as I can. If you come up with a position that there is no free will anywhere for anybody ever, then you, it has to, if it's true in the middle, it is the axiom for it. It has to be true at the extremes. That's what got me, what got me so much hate mail. If you have a position where you have decided it's true, all you have to do is carry it to its extremes and see if it's still true. And if it's not, then your position isn't true in the middle either. You just think it is. And that's what I did a couple weeks ago on the 29th, and they didn't like that very much. So we're going a different way. I want you to recognize the if-then format. If God is the source of sin, then Christ is the source of sin. And if Christ is, has sin in him, then no one is saved because there is no sinless sacrifice now. So I want you to see that if-then format. That's logic. Sorry for that. No, no, not really. Not really sorry. Fake sorry. But I do not accept and will never accept uh, any teaching that degrades the goodness of God Christ in any way. I will not. Nor will I concede uh, his omniscience, omnipresence, or omnipotence and his outside of time. That's where I'm at. And I know it doesn't make people happy. Anyway. Those who take away the capacity of man to make a free will decision are much too anxious to degrade the character of God. God calls his creation good. And if you say that man does not have any free will and therefore God is somehow the author of sin and he's the reason their sin is here, then you are degrading the character of God. Do you follow that? And I won't do that. Again, this is where the parable of the talents comes in. I've said this hundreds of times. I have an actual sermon series on the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. You've got to reflect on this because this is a person, a Pharisee in my view, calling God a hard man. He says, you're a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. Same thing as saying, I knew you to be evil. I knew you to be vicious. I knew you were, you were going to come in here and just be nasty. That's what I knew you to be. That is the opinion of the pharisaical community of God. They see, saw God the same way. Calling God a hard man. Okay, God responds to that. Find out if you are standing there next to that guy who calls God a hard man. And that isn't a good place to be. God will not allow you to call him evil. And I will not stand before Christ's throne and say to his face that he is a hard man, that he is the creator of evil, and that I have no accountability, therefore, for my decisions and my sins. I will not stand there and try that. I won't do it. You all go ahead. I'm not going to be with you. Good luck. That's not my group. Here, this will rise them up. That's not my choice. But you go ahead. Okay. I always get the exact same questions over and over and over again. 
And I said, it's really sad for me. I, I don't, I, that, that's probably what gets me the most fatigued, the most sad over this. They, they ask this. And they ask it differently. I just do the best I can with it and, and you'll get the general drift. Um, does mankind's sin, okay, let me put it this way, I did, I said that badly. Does mankind sin because he is born into sin or because he chooses to sin? Let me repeat it again. They ask it every time. Does mankind sin because he is born into sin or because he chooses to sin? Exactly. See how simple that? Notice the premise of the question. It's phrased as an either or. It's not an either or. It's not. Of course it's not an either or. Which that erases the false premise and renders the question elementary. Not that what you, your, your answer was fantastic. Yes is the answer. Mankind is born into, into sin and mankind chooses to sin. It's not an either or. It's obvious it's not. Why do you hang on to that? Please, please discard that book. Man, see, mankind is born into sin and chooses to sin, making mankind a sinner, just as the Bible says. They are not exclusive. It's not an either or. They are complementary. And I get this, by the way, the same question with the Pharaoh and God, right? It's the same question, isn't it? You recognize that? Did the Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? It's not an either or. The answer again, yes. Yes. Another worded in a false premise. Anyway, here's another. If we choose to be saved and then we... Um, Saved, then have we not, I mean, I'm stumbling over it because I, I have to read what they write and it's not my words. If we choose to be saved, then have we not then become saved by our works or our work? <sighs> Basically, this equates faith and belief to physical acts. Did not? We are saved by faith, by belief in the person and the redemptive and the, in the blood, the redemptive work of Christ, which immediately demonstrates, by the way, the exact opposite nature of faith, belief, and works. They are opposites. That again, I outlined completely at Romans four. I hope you were here for that. Faith, belief is non-physical. Work is physical. Mental properties are spiritual versus physical properties. Faith by, by definition is not work. So the statement is, what's the word I want? Illogical. It's like who made God? How do you, you're asking who made the unmadeable one? It's illogical. It's like C.S. Lewis says, uh, how much does yellow weigh? That's what you've done. You have said, 
If we choose to be saved, then have we not then become saved by our work? You have implied that belief and work are the same thing. They are not. Again, belief is a spiritual, uh, a mental property. It's a spiritual component. Faith, by definition, is not work. Salvation is a spiritual process. Work is a physical process. Ultimately, this becomes a discussion of the definition of belief and rejection. I want you to start thinking about what is belief? What is the process, the anatomy of believing? How do I believe? What are the steps to believing? And rejection. In other words, the definition of believing must be dealt with as, and the inverse or the converse, which is rejection. You have to deal with both of those. That, which of the two is the pro, pro, proactive superior? Do you know what I mean by that? Which takes the most energy? How much energy does it take to reject? How much energy does it take to believe? Is there a proactive superior? In other words, is one the opposite of the other or the absence of the other? Does that make sense? If I am rejecting Christ, then is that the absence of belief? Am I believing Christ? Is that the absence of rejecting? See how they tie together. You must have a definition of the two of them. I never get that question. Which is which of the two is the proactive superior? Somebody please write me. Which of the two is the proactive superior? It'll make me happy. And I, I don't get this question either. If I don't have free will, do I truly exist? Think about that. Is it possible for me to exist unless I am given free will? And by the way, in order to exist, what must I be given? I got to be given existence. It is not a coincidence. That existence is before time, and free will is before time, in the person of God. That he has existence, and he has free will. Those are two of his characteristics. Did he give them? If I don't have both, can I have free will without existence? Can I have existence without free will? Please send me that question. If I don't have free will, I'm helping them now. If I don't have free will, do I truly exist? You would recognize that as a form of C.S. Lewis's that I erased here. Question, great question. If H is not, then she never was. Existence is a characteristic of God as is free will. God has both. Are they exclusive or complementary? In other words, are both required for each to be true? I want that question. That will be fun. That will be a happy song. I want a happy song. It's the, the title of the happy song is, Is Free Will and Existence Exclusive or Complementary? In the key of D, let's all sing. I never get that question. What is required for belief to occur? What is the belief process? Can, can belief occur without free will? There's another one. It's worthy of discussion. Besides the Pharaoh question. John 8.24, this is how this baby fits in here. You want to beat people up to knock on your door. This is why. This is why this is so great. Christ, God himself, says this. You 
must. Oh my goodness. What? You must believe. God is saying, you must believe or, ah, he can use it correctly. How lucky God is. You must believe or, that's sarcasm by the way, you guys, please don't write me. You must believe I am or you will perish in your sins. That's John 8.24. God said that. Notice the must or format, just like the if-then format. What is in the rejection process? Can rejection occur without free will? Can belief occur without free will? He says you must do it. What's the implication of the word must? Notice he didn't say, you will believe it. You must. Oops. And one more thing about that. Explain the weeping of God at Gethsemane over the cup that has only the sins of the saved in it does not have the sins of the lost. And he weeps for the lost. That's what Christ does. He's God. He weeps for the lost. You have to explain weeping for the lost in the context uh, of your position that no free will exists. Now you have to explain why God weeps if there is no free will. Good luck with that one. Write me back. Give me a happy song. If you will, ask this question. Why does God mourn for the loss? What is the implications of that with free will? One final question that I'm always asked as well. If God gives us free will to believe or reject, why is that free will taken away? And That's essentially the eternal uh, security question. In other words, they're saying that if he gives us free will, then... Uh, why isn't that free will taken away? I, I, I said it badly, didn't I? I didn't have the isn't. Let me repeat it. If God gives us free will to believe or reject, why isn't that free will taken away? That's essentially the eternal security question, which, as you know, is did God design a process of salvation that results in no one being saved? Because if he doesn't keep us saved none of us would remain saved. So your question really is, why does he keep us saved? Why does he keep us saved? Because none of us would be saved, and therefore we'd have a system of redemption that no one was saved by. Did God think of that? Duh. Anyway, I've gone on enough with this, and I know it's, I know it's important, but I'm tired. I am. It's been a tough week. And uh, it's going to be a tough week for the next couple of months. And, and I'm going to shut it down right here, I think. Yes, I am. I'll, I'll deal with more of it. They, there's more of it. And I'll probably... I, I want to deal with existence a little bit more because that's my mom, right? Does she have existence? And she does have existence. And I want to make sure you understand the relationship of existence and free will and, and the relationship of belief to rejection. So I'll, I'll, I'll play with it some more. There's more stuff in it, much to the shock and dismay of the emailers. Uh, I'm tired. I really am. I long for someone to write with complex questions. 
I want whoever listens to me to be one of those people. I want you to assume that I've heard all the easy ones. I want you to think, oh, he probably heard that one. I, I, I realize it's easy to insult people you don't know. I do it to you. That's how I know it's easy. But I, I, honestly, I don't expect either of it to happen. I don't expect to get complex questions. And, and I don't expect people to assume that I've dealt with any of them. But that's okay. I'll probably do, like I said, more of this next week. Um, which means that you have permission um, to hide. Ugh, let me move this so we can see and hear Louie. And I'm serious about that. I know you've heard it and heard it and heard it. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. I tried to think about every time I've done this. Uh, and I did it almost every day when I taught Bible uh, classes uh, in the high school because I knew it was important. I knew they would go and hear the simple questions over and over and over again. And that's the sad thing is that when these kids leave these uh, Christian schools, uh, they're, they're dog meat out there. There's nobody talks to them about this stuff. They have slaughtered like lambs that they are. So I'll do more of it, and like I said, you have permission to skip. I won't blame you. I know you're tired of it. But I'll, this is what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to go to this Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to tie in the image of God, or what's called knowing good and evil. What is the implication of God saying, man is like us knowing good and evil? How does knowing good and evil fit into free will, belief, rejection, and existence? That's where we'll go next week. Because I have a lab. She has free will. She proves it every bedtime. But she will not reject God. She does not know good and evil. I... I accuse her of being evil, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. So, next week we'll get into knowing good and evil and how it relates. And the musicians can now push me off the stage with enthusiasm, led by Amanda. And here's where I say for Ben, and we do it every time, and it's really funny, Amanda made me realize it, but I always say, let's rise and be dismissed. And, and the gentleman the other day said, why do the musicians come forward? And why are you rising to be dismissed? Why not just be dismissed? I don't know why I say that. But I have said it for thousands and thousands of lectures. I know I have. So I'm saying it again. Let's rise and be dismissed.